What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! The Beginning and the End is an Arabic novel written in the mid-1900s about a family that includes two teenage brothers, Hussein and Hassanin. From nothing, they form a life for themselves and for those around them, making sacrifices along the way, eventually leading to the ultimate sacrifice of separation from each other as a result of perceived selfishness. But the ending of the book leaves room for hope of reconciliation. The novel received a Nobel Prize in 1988, and the next year, two other teenage brothers would begin making a life for themselves with Sepultura's Roadrunner debut, Beneath the Remains. After the critically acclaimed Chaos AD, however, the brothers Igor and Max Cavalera would unveil the album that would be the beginning and the end. After their 96 opus roots, it would be the end of the Sepultura as it was known, and the beginning of a new iteration of the band, as well as the introduction of Soulfly to the world. Twelve years after the release of Roots, the brothers would reunite for Cavalera Conspiracy's debut album, and many maintain hope of a Sepultura reconciliation. This week on Meep Meep, we continue Season 3 of 25th Anniversaries, 1996, Sepultura, Roots. Welcome to Meet Meet, the Roadrunner podcast, where we go through the albums of Roadrunner Records with the artists who made them and the musicians they influenced. Let's roll. What up, what up, Meepsters? We're diving deeper into the 25th anniversary celebrations with a landmark album, iconic in every way, Sepultura's Roots. Released in the U.S. on March 12, 1996. With me to talk about it are two people that shaped my world of music early on. Legendary producer Ross Robinson has a significant relationship with the Roadrunner catalog, between being signed to them and his band Detente, to producing impactful records from Machine Head, Glassjaw, Slipknot, Amen, Soulfly, and today's subject, Sepultura. We'll be getting into it with Ross later, but first, Keith Barney is the guitarist for 18 Visions, who is so influential, a band on Roadrunner Records today, Motionless and White, named themselves after their song. Legit! But even before that, he fronted another incredibly important band in my life, Throwdown. We discussed the influence of Roots on him and their sound. We did a few different covers, you know, over the years, but Roots was always a favorite for sure. It was a huge influence on Throwdown. I came late to the game on Sepultura as well, um, but I heard Roots in my friend's car. Um, and then because of that, I went backwards and listened to Chaos ID. And I actually didn't go any further. I mean, I listened to the other records, but. I didn't really fall in love with the older stuff because I had started with Roots, really. So whether it was production-wise or whatever, um, Roots just 
was just so heavy and it really was a big influence. Yeah, I was the same way where Roots is what I first heard, the song Roots, seeing the music video on uh, Much Music or something like that. And so I went back to Chaos AD because it was so critically acclaimed. And I've heard the other albums prior. And I know that a lot of Sepultura fans, you know, almost like Metallica fans are like, yo, those first ones are the only ones that matter. Chaos AD is, you know, right. when, it, when it's over. But I never really connected with those. I connected with the the bounce and the groove of Roots yeah. and Chaos AD. I would even say Chaos AD might technically be better, you know, like the songs are better. Yeah. But to me, Roots is like my favorite by far. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. Um, I have a Refuse Resist tattoo. Like I, I got really into Chaos AD um, and I feel like, there's something a bit, yeah, I think there's something about the songs that were a little bit more dynamic and Roots was more of like a organic, like um, it just, it was, it was almost more thematic or something like that. Um, it really had like that, that kind of single stream type of theme, like across the record and all the tribal stuff. It was such a, it really kind of felt like its own thing. And so it does feel like this, singular organic experience to me when i listen to it um whereas chaos is more like songed out i think yeah yeah i i think that makes sense i almost kind of see it as a trilogy always too it's chaos ad roots and then the first soulfly record are almost yeah. like you know thematically connected they almost are like evolutions of each other because there's hints yeah. of that like single string I guess now we would call like the Genty stuff on Chaos AD on like um, Slave New World and stuff like that. There's like those riffs. And then, you know, Roots has whole songs like the song groups that have that kind of riffing. And then the Soulfly record is just really focusing in on that, like very staccato, um, almost pop song structure of the riffing that comes before that. So Roots, though, um, is cool because of the fact that it was this huge band known for you know, really death metal early on, right? Yeah. They do Chaos AD. They try to do the major label thing with Epic and Roadrunner together. And then they come back to Roadrunner. And I think it would be, you know, a lot of people would say like they were trying to be trendy, I guess, with the new metal thing because of corn and all that. And I can see that to a, one degree, but I almost feel like it's more uh, daring to be like, oh, you know, I, I know that if we do this death metal stuff that we did before, people are already sold on that. Yeah, to just go the other way with it and and full on go the other way with it. I mean, you know, even with the uh, the guest appearances and stuff like that. That's another reason that I think it's almost like a prequel to Soulfly because Soulfly had so many guest appearances throughout the whole really canon of Soulfly, even to this day. You know, it's just a ton of people on these records, and it kind of starts with this. You can definitely see that progression kind of going from record and record and and, and into Soulfly. He just kind of takes it full on with the tribal and like yeah. In some of the in some of the like the new metal stuff that was he kind of went more full on in that way. And Max also in the Roots video has that red hair, not mm -hmm. unlike the "You Broke Like Glass" video when you have red hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. There's no connection there. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was drawing all these parallels because you know that also the video for Attitude which has these like cage fighters, which actually is pretty innovative in that sense too, because this isn't like. UFC isn't the thing it is now in, in 1996. So they have uh, the Gracie family doing like this uh, jujitsu, you know, uh, what is it? Muay Thai and stuff like that. And then the forever video, you got bare knuckle boxing. I mean, it seems like there's a, there's a theme here. <laughs> there are some crossover, man. I mean, it's, 
you know, uh, because we were talking about doing this, I listened to, to Roots recently, and there's just so much that I connected with. There's on so many different players, like Igor's playing, the use of like the China, the groove, you know, Max would like rep like Brazil football jerseys. I love soccer, the single string stuff, the heavy stuff, like it just, there was so much that like drew me, drew me to it, you know? Yeah. I feel like all the things that I like about it are the things that Sepultura purists hate about it. <laughs> like, cause the, I think the biggest thing for me, even with especially a song like Roots, which of course was the big single and everything. So I keep on coming back to that is it was, I couldn't play a rise songs. You know what I mean? I didn't have the technical ability on guitar to do that, but I could play roots. I could play that, yeah. you know, after the first couple of minutes after owning a guitar for a brief period of time. And it didn't sound silly to me. You know, it was still a complete song. There was never a time when I listened to this album and I thought it sounded like dumbed down, you know, it still sounded yeah. intense and skillfully performed, just more simplified and focused. I think it's about a, like a feeling. It's about like it, emotion, especially on Roots, whereas maybe they did some more technical things before and it was like <clears throat> fast and intense. Like you can just hear it in Max's voice on that record. Like his, his scream really stood out to me at the time for like, I don't know, for, for that genre and coming from like the hardcore world, like you could just kind of really sense the like the emotion and kind of like anger in his voice and he has such a cool texture to his voice um yeah i really felt like that um that's a little bit that's part of the more organic almost like primal which speaks to the whole tribal thing part of that thematic part of that record it's simple and it's just it's just it's heavy riffage and you build all those things together and it's just kind of like this pulsing groove, you know, that was like a big theme for that record and it just works so amazing. Yeah. I think that's something that uh, I even subconsciously forget a lot is that Max's voice is so unique and, and like you said, textured because oftentimes listening to Soulfly or Sepultura, you know, the lyrics aren't the, the strongest part of the songs. Typically uh, he reuses a lot of, uh, phrases and things like that but it's really more about the the uh emotion in his voice and just his voice is so cool sounding because he's one of the rare singers that you can tell is foreign when you're listening to him sing you know what i mean like yeah. i feel like i've listened to a lot of uh bands from other countries that while they're singing and especially while they're screaming i don't hear any sort of accent but you can hear the you know portuguese influence in his scream even though he's if, even if he's speaking in english yeah totally so the album was produced by Ross Robinson, of course, a big name, new metal producer. Uh, in nowadays, you know, back then he had really just done Corn, Funk Junkies, uh, the Deftones, which I guess those are all new, <laughs> new metal bands too. You've worked with uh, Mudrock, right, and Machine, mm -hmm. also well-known new metal guys. Did you go into a, a canyon and jam ever? Do they have you bury any master tapes under the ground? <laughs> no, no, nothing crazy like that. Um... Mudrock was was a great producer, but he was he was a <laughs> as, as far as like coming across people in the music world, like he was a little more uh, normal guy. <laughs> um, he was very technically sound. He's he showed up with like 
you know, a hundred pedals and different things to play with. And he was just more on the technical side. I think machine was way more out there. He was just like uh, very eccentric. I mean, the guy had so much energy uh, all the time. And he brought that into the studio and he always wanted to try all different kinds of things and ideas were just hitting him all the time. And his eyes were like really wide and just bouncing everywhere. And <laughs> so it was, it was a very different experience. The, the only thing that was different was like when we did with machine, whereas we did like more of a tr traditional approach with mud rock um, recording with the machine, it was um, a lot more Frankenstein. And we tried some different kind of recording tricks and like recorded like the symbols apart from the shells and stuff like that. There were some different type of studio things compared to what we were used to. He was so fun to work with. He just like, he's always down to try any idea. He always had lots of ideas. Um, and that was exciting. We'd never worked with a producer before that was like trying to work with us on our songs and trying to expand ideas and, and all that. So that was fun. Andy Wallace uh, also mixed Roots and he had done the production for Chaos AD. So it's cool that they kind of keep him into the fold. And I've seen different uh, interviews and things like that with Max where he says that, you know, ultimately the quality of the recording that Ross Robinson did as far as uh, sonically was terrible and then he would send it to Andy Wallace and he would make it sound like what we have now and you can kind of hear that that rawness still too that was maintained throughout it which is a big part of what we're talking about as far as like that emotional organic you know feel to this record versus maybe the technical proficiency of it yeah it's it's kind of it is it is so raw it's like he really didn't you know chop it up and fix it up a lot and you can hear little, you know, things that are just kind of off, but it just kind of comes together in the right places. Cause I mean, I notice, you know, little things cause I'm editing guitars and shit all the time. And I can hear how the guitars aren't like perfectly on in a lot of parts. And then they do kind of come together in certain, like maybe chugga parts or something like that, that was like supposed to be that way. And, but there is, there's kind of a looseness about it that, that all yeah speaks to that whole tribal organic thing yeah this cover i'd seen you know my whole life and i just found out within the last few years from a friend from brazil that the cover is actually the back of money that brazil used to use um back in like it was like a very short period of time like 93 to 94 so almost right before this album would have come out brazil was going through a transitional period with their currency and uh it's called a cruzeiros it was the cruzeiros real which then they converted now to just the Real. But anyway, it's the back of like their, basically their dollar bill. That oh, really? Like not even really altered that much. It just has that weird red thing around it. But like that face, if you uh, look up the, the I, they call it a, a thou, or a, a mil, a thousand cruzeros, but it's a, essentially a dollar. I always feel like Sepultura <laughs> have the weirdest album covers. I like Chaos AD. <laughs> it makes no sense, though. It's like kind of off center. The font is like weirdly positioned. Uh, and maybe then... it's just the colors or something that, that looks so cool. Like, like that's a cool metal shirt. I always love their S logo. That's but it's it's interesting to find out like cool little bits like that for something that you've like you know I've obsessed about that album for half my life, and it's just cool to learn new things. <laughs> Because they were, you know, very like punk rock and stuff in Brazil. So that's um, even speaks more to that, like kind of rebellious nature of them, that they were like, this is our roots. And it's kind of 
engulfing the the money that's also overtaken the culture of the the tribe that's another um interesting thing about Sepultura, that another one of those things that just happened to connect and gravitate like they played with a lot of like hardcore straight edge bands like earth crisis and strife um igor would like wear hardcore shirts and stuff and uh and so that was just like another layer that was like oh like they obviously know about this world and that's awesome and that makes sense because they're so heavy <laughs> yeah it's uh and it's cool that i feel like they've maintained both sepultura and soulfly that connection to like underground music like they never kind of outgrew being into yeah. newer bands and being into that that scene that's kind of still part of their aesthetic they never went full uh despite being two of the biggest bands in the world you know every like we were saying the soulfly records still have guest appearances in there you know todd jones from nails <laughs> or terror is on and and dave was on one of them and just it's always it's never necessarily just the veterans you know like a uh, tom mariah yeah. from slayer or something like that so i did want to go through kind of the songs in general on the album we've covered the single roots attitude was co-written by his stepson dana wells who famously and tragically passed away which kind of resulted in a lot of things that happened in max's life but it's uh interesting to me too because chaos ad a lot of the lyrics written by other people on this album, Andreas and Dana write lyrics for him too. I almost feel like writing lyrics is something that Max is not excited about doing. That's like a, a requirement of the songs versus something that gets him psyched. Cutthroat is one of my favorite songs on here because it just has that mean chant, so to speak, of cutthroat throughout the, oh, yeah. the chorus. It did, yeah, that whole like cutthroat chorus part is so heavy intense just i don't know the, the tone of his voice when he's doing that part is just fucking brutal <laughs> i uh, i always kind of put this album into like different categories in the sense of that some songs feel like they are grouped together and other ones feel like they are too like some of them are like a cutthroat or spit uh you know they feel like they were probably the same like group of like just fast heavy punk songs and there's like the more like jammy ones that are like five and a half minutes long and three of them yeah. are actual parts of the song and the rest of it were kind of just drum like maybe that they did those more in the studio versus maybe they came to the recording session with like an attitude and a roots bloody roots or something like that and cutthroat's one of those where i feel like maybe it was in between the the chaos ad roots frame of mind where it's still like just driving but also not uh too experimental i guess with losing that edge yeah that makes sense for sure then uh, Rata Mahata, which features Brazilian percussionist and singer uh, Carlinos Brown. I recently found out that the song is called Rata Mahata because Carlinos Brown was trying to say the phrase rats from Manhattan. And that's like how he said it. Really? Because uh, <laughs> the drummer on the first Soulfly record, Roy Mayorga, who was also in Stone Sour, and he was in a band called Thorn. And uh, I was asking him, you know, why did they call you Rata when you were in Soulfly? And he was like, oh, because of. Carlinos Brown trying to say rap from Manhattan. What? I'm the rat from Manhattan. This song is pretty cool because of the the lyrics in reference to Coffin Joe and uh, Lampio, which are two kind of, um, I guess, like Brazilian. I don't want to say folk heroes because Coffin Joe, I think, is more of a fictional character. He's almost like the Undertaker from wrestling. He's like a literal like undead Undertaker who kind of like rapes and pillages. So I don't know if they're necessarily hyping him up. And then uh, Lampio is more of like a Brazilian, like Davy Crockett, just kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like uh, rallied a, a group of people together and would, uh, you know, fight off the 
the evildoers of the villages. And I think that's cool to just kind of reference these, especially in this song, which sounds just like a Brazilian jam. This song is kind of the epitome of the album to me, even if it's not my favorite song, because it sounds like it has that, you know, tribal influence while still being a structured song. And just like that uh, crazy yeah. vocal from Carlinos just really drives it home. No, I, yeah, completely. And this is very Soulfly, right? It's like... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's and I and I love how it kind of like dynamic dynamically kind of goes through like the tribal and then like the riff and then the tribe and like it's kind of and then it just kind of like you said it kind of just jams its way out and kind of plays through that and when I heard that that was such a foreign thing you know that was just such a and I don't mean like Brazilian or whatever I just mean like I, I never heard any other bands really doing that and then after that record I heard lots of bands trying that stuff. Um, lots of hardcore bands that were having like s- bands started having like extra percussionists and stuff on stage and like just to do some extra toms most drummers like they hit the crash on the downbeat and it was the first time I heard like, Igor would play like the shells he would play like the toms on a downbeat you know like do and then he'd go back into the riff and it was like oh that doesn't make sense but of course that sounds amazing that sounds so cool yeah yeah I think that Igor Whereas, of course, he's celebrated as a drummer because of the bands he's been a part of, just as a drummer is so innovative and seems like he just kind of does whatever he wants. Like, doesn't seem like he probably ever had a drum lesson, just kind of figured it out on his own. That, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely so much about about what he does is unique, but also, you know, I don't hear like it's not like a Pro Tools session, but he still is so consistent, like, especially his double kicks and all that kind of stuff. Like, he's so naturally and and it's kind of like when you see like a really good like skater that has there's some there's some that are like technical technically gifted and then there's some that have like a really cool style you know and you put the two together and it's just like he's on a different level you know he's obviously can technically do it but he has such a cool style whether it's from like the fills that he chooses to do or the different things that he's trying out with like those really high kind of toms or or stuff. Um, I love all that that stuff that he does. Yeah, he's a, a rare example of a drummer that you could identify that it's him playing if you heard it outside of context. Yeah. Like you would know that it's him. Sure. Almost like a, a Dino Cazares, you can tell when you hear like a riff that he wrote or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of drummers, though, uh, David Silvera from Corn is on this song. And, you know, of course, uh, the comparisons to Corn and this album have been made so much throughout the years. I, I guess I get it to an extent, but do you think that this sounds like it doesn't sound like Corn, right? It just sounds like drop tuned, like a hundred other bands were at the time. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I don't even think I knew that about uh, that he that he played on it, but that totally makes sense. I mean, I I didn't know besides like the Ross Robinson crossover, I didn't know if like they were friends or knew anything. I didn't know anything about that. Corn was obviously way weirder. Some of their riffs were more like chord heavy riff rock compared to like Sepultura, which was definitely had a little bit more like they did the single string thing, but it was, it was definitely more metal um, than, you know, so there's obviously, you know, differences in style and lots and stuff like that. And of course, vocally, like so different, but I can, I can see that. And it just makes sense because it was, um, you know, I also really loved Machine Head and like they were doing some of that kind of stuff too. Um, 
And so, I mean, I, I got I don't, like like you said, I, I don't think I really thought about it at the time. These records were just coming up, and I was just eating it up. <laughs> it right. Like I don't know who was doing it first, uh, whatever. I wasn't probably thinking about producers back then or anything. That I was just like, sounds fucking heavy. <laughs> I love it. But yeah, I mean, and Ross Robinson did the Burning Red from Machine Head, and I never thought that that was like, oh, this sounds like Corn or Roots. You know, I thought it sounded right. like them doing their own thing. So I kind of being redundant here yeah i feel like sepultura is definitely more like riff based and corn was more just like almost i hate using the word groove i feel like people say groove metal when they're afraid to say new metal because they think that it makes them sound <laughs> like uh un uncultured or something like that but you know like that, that those rhythms so then we have uh breed apart which has a kind of drum intro as well and uh andreas kisser actually wrote this song one of the two songs he writes on here he wrote two for chaos ad too and you can kind of tell the ones that i shouldn't say you can kind of tell once you hear about the ones that he wrote it kind of makes sense because yeah that's another big question i always had that i'd love to ask him about is like i mentioned earlier the soulfly record sounds like a continuation of roots but the sepultura records after roots don't sound like a continuation of roots they never kind of come back around to that new thing so i wonder how much andreas was deliberately not trying to sound like roots because he didn't want you know the soulfly comparison or how much he was just maybe not as into the idea of pursuing that further you know he seems like a more metal guitarist yeah you can definitely see that i i feel like although you mentioned that i didn't i didn't know that but like i mean the departure for where the two bands went afterwards i, I kept trying i mean i kept trying to listen to new sepulchre records and i just couldn't I couldn't follow it after after roots um but i did you know keep checking everything out that that's that's back to that the kind of like feeling that max has i feel like he just likes from almost from like a producer stamp songwriter's standpoint he's like he just likes being brutal as opposed to like whether if it's technical and that fits the brutality that's cool but he's like going for like a feeling like a really intense feeling whereas maybe andreas is yeah probably more about like thinking about the riffs themselves right you know i think max is thinking of the larger picture that actually is a very uh articulate way of putting it and makes a lot of sense that andreas is more focused on the songwriting and max is more focused on just the end result feeling of yeah like you said like being brutal and punishing you can see that even in all the other projects he did, Nail Bomb, uh, Cavalera. Yeah, absolutely. And all, I mean, also, like, yeah, even to this day, like, yeah, what was Cavalera Conspiracy or like, you know, um, the, the Soulfly stuff. I mean, it's still, he's still trying to do brutal stuff. Um, but even when you see them play live, you know, there's like lots of times where he just stops playing altogether and he's just screaming. And he's just like, he, he gets caught up in the moment. Like he's playing, he, he doesn't seem like he cares to be like, super tight all the time <laughs> like i really just think like he's just like this vessel for this like fucking brutality that he's trying to like get out you know so that could just be one note like roots and that's good enough for him because it's just like it's just this wall it's the whole picture together that he's doing you know yeah and i think that comes back to the kind of hardcore punk rock roots we were talking about too because when yeah. you think of a band that might be considered a great live band and hardcore i'll use terror as an example terror aren't exactly necessarily just proficiently killing scott vogel doesn't say 90 percent of the vocals when he's doing a show right but it's that right. energy that feeling versus yeah. um technically like delivering each line or or whatnot and i think that that's a that's a good point to make that yeah he's just more into kind of the 
the emotion of it all, which is probably why him and Ross Robinson had such a connection because they're both kind of trying to get that same goal. Speaking of emotion, the next song is Straight Hates, <laughs> which of course Blood Simple would name their first song on their record after. You ever listen to Blood Simple? Dude, they're one of my favorite bands. Blood Simple is? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because I, I was a huge vision of a source, uh, v- VOD fan. Yeah. And um, so when Blood Simple came around, it was just even heavier. And Machine did the Blood Simple record, um, which I loved. Um, and I think that's around the time that we decided to work with him or something. I forgot the timeline there. I think we were right after that maybe, but, um, and I saw blood simple play a few times, but yeah, huge fan. Yeah. I, I love blood simple too. I feel like they get a, a bad rep almost like from Soulfly to Sep- or Sepultura to Soulfly, the vision of disorder fans going to, um, that, but I guess VOD fans even like kind of fall off after imprint or whatever right they're they're very like we like the demo <laughs> like hardcore kind of kind of guys but i love blood simple and i loved it because it was also mike from vision of disorder too right it was two guys and yeah. uh i think they even go in full circle toward with Soulfly and throwdown post heavy k throwdown but still i think <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah it was it was tim and the guitar player right uh-huh. from VOD, right yeah yeah, I did. I didn't. I didn't like that last VOD record, but James, he fucking loved it. Uh, yeah, but Blood Simple was so heavy, so so heavy. Loved, especially that first record. I mean, and the song Straight Hate. I mean, that is a that is a cardio yeah. staple. You know, if I want to finish off that last <laughs> three minutes on the treadmill, then that is the the cheat code. Yeah. So Straight Hate also has Andreas as the background vocalist, which uh, and it made me wonder if they ever considered having just Andreas do vocals instead of replacing it. The thing I remember, like, just vividly about that song is when he says straight fucking hate. Yeah. It's like the most intense, like, part in that. Yeah. It's just back to the genius of, of I, you know, that, that probably just came out in the studio. He probably didn't, like, think about he was going to do that necessarily. It probably just came out, you know, just like, it's almost like he's performing when he's, you know, <laughs> at all times. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the takes are done live, uh, you know, with the full band playing. I know with Chaos AD, it was done that way, too. But I think about that, too, kind of skip into uh, Ambush, because he's got that those, like, little ad-lib motherfuckers in it. But there's one, <laughs> yeah. if you listen, that it's like, he's not even saying it really into the microphone. He's, like, almost just saying it to himself. It's like, in the middle of a guitar riff, you just hear him kind of muttering motherfucker to himself. And that is so sick. Yes. Because All it's so the- authentic. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that's the type of stuff that that Ross brings out of people. Um, I think that's, you know, I remember from watching the corn documentary on how they made their first record and all the crazy shit that Jonathan Davis was doing in the studio. Right. Uh, they're just like you hear like like I remember on that record, you hear stuff like off mic and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also on this, you hear things like um like the in the instrumental jams you'll hear like laughter and things like that yeah. like it's clearly just you know he's uh he's recording as much as he can and then kind of compiles it and then sends it off to to Andy and Andy mixes it down and makes it sound classic which i think is such a such a cool team that you know it's such a 
uh, speaks to that it's a group effort. It, it's not just Max Cavalera making this record. It's not just Igor killing it with the drums. It's not just the guests coming in or just Ross Robinson's production. It's everything had to come together to make this album the way it was. Uh, Spit is the next song on here, which to me sounds like the most like raw and live sounding song. Like you can definitely tell that was recorded live, I feel like for similar reasons. And then the ending of that song where he just kind of pauses, streams, spit a bunch of times, and then just does that, you know, single <laughs> single chord chug is just makes me want to fight a park to park. <laughs> yeah. Oh, spit is definitely one of the standout songs for sure. Which of course Kitty would name their debut album after. <laughs> is that what they did they really? <laughs> no, I, I, I hope that's true, but no, I don't think so. We have um, an 18 Vision song called Spit too. 18 Visions has a spit song? Yeah. Man, spits like the new down. Every band has a song called Down. <laughs> so then there's Look Away, which is kind of a, an all-star assembly. We got Jonathan Davis from Corn. We got Mike Patton from Faith No More and a hundred other bands. And we got DJ Lethal from House of Pain, Sugar Ray, Limp Biscuit, La Coca Nostra. My buddy yeah. list on AOL Instant Messenger. He's he's an all-star. So this uh this uh, song is really cool at the end, but I feel like it takes such a long time to build up. A couple years ago, Linkin Park put out an album called The Hunting Party, okay? And they had a bunch of guests on it. One of the guests that they promoted is that they had Tom Morello for Angel Against the Machine. Wow, Tom Morello is going to be on a Linkin Park album. Can't wait to hear what they do with them. And it's like this 30-second instrumental, like, weird noodle that sounds like it was recorded in the hallway or something like that. And that's what I feel like this Mike Patton guest is on here. Like, you have Mike Patton, and he's just kind of yelling in the background. He's not really doing a whole lot. Jonathan Davis does the little outro part. Um, DJ Lethal is cutting it up. Props to him. He he comes prepared. But I, uh, I always felt like this song on paper is so cool looking and then just doesn't uh, quite deliver for me. A little disappointing. Doesn't suck or anything. It just isn't the banger that it should be with all those people on it. Well, I never really cared for Limp Bizkit. That's one I skipped. That was going to be a follow-up question I had for you. If you like, despite the fact that you put an album out on Fred Durst Records, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was a joke, <laughs> clearly. Um, no, I, yeah, uh, you know, I guess it's from case to case, but for the most part, I take heavy music like seriously, and I can't get into like making it more of like a cliche necessarily when uh yeah i don't know i, I think i take it too seriously it's hard for me to to like think of it as like like the like the rap rock kind of like stuff um unless it's done like in like in a real serious way i like it separate <laughs> it's interesting that you say that because i have been told before I, i'll never forget this quote that i am quote too precious about music that isn't very good because i think that Biscuit is awesome and i do take it very seriously despite the fact that i know there's a lot of goofiness involved with it yeah but, but i think that you would at least admit or maybe i could be wrong but like you know instrumentally Biscuit is incredible i've never listened to them deep enough to to be on the same wavelength of like musically they're incredible or whatever uh wes's riffs he's got some cool riffs for sure um i really liked his Black Light Burns band. I thought that was uh, like a cool direction he was going with that. But uh, as a collective, like the Limp Bizkit thing was just too too off for me. Dusted is the other Andreas Kisser song on here. He actually does the vocals, writes the music, writes the lyrics. 
um, not on like Nomad and Territory on Chaos AD. And another one that seems like a little bit more like straight ahead song, less uh, experimentation kind of, I don't even want to say riff based because it's not any riffier than a lot of the other songs, but it just seems like a more straight ahead like rock song. Yeah. But so that brings us to Born Stubborn, which is one of my favorite songs on the album for two reasons. One, they say their own band name in the song, which is a huge thing for me. If you say your own name in a song, I'm instantly into it. Lip Biscuit does it. Uh, 311 does it on every song. Um, and <laughs> I thought maybe they were referring to whatever Sepultura is. So Sepultura means like grave. And he says Sepultura in our hearts. So I don't think he's saying our grave is in our hearts. I think he's giving a shout out to the crew. Yeah. So I think that's sick. I back it. COD did that too. COD. Oh, yeah. One of the few songs with leads on the on the album. It's not like a, a full blown solo or anything like that, but it's got a, a second guitar part <laughs> that I think is is cool. <laughs> so between those two things, also the interesting thing um, listening to this now is the ending of it reminds me of, which obviously is retroactive, but reminds me of there's a, a song on uh, the, the title track from Spine Shanks, The Height of Callousness, that has like the yeah. meh, 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 meh. And that's like the ending of this song. And I got to imagine there was some influence there. I really like that Spine Shank record. Which leads us into, you know, kind of the, the tribal jams of Josco and Itsari. Famously, they travel to Brazil into the, the jungle and record Itsari with the Cervantes tribe um, with just like a, uh, a car battery hooked up to some microphones, did a bunch of takes, jammed with the, uh, the natives, kind of uh, taught each other different percussions and things like that. So I think that's, you know, this is kind of the, the centerpiece of the Roots theme, right? You know, you have the actual indigenous people that they're speaking about that we kind of see uh, referenced on the cover and in the lyrics of the other songs. Kind of a weird placement, I always thought, for where it is on the album as far as it's not in the middle, it's not at the end, it's like right before a couple songs. And separating the two of uh, the Josco and Itsari, Josco's done in the studio, Itsari's done in the wilderness, I always thought that was interesting too. Like you can probably just put them together as one track, but is this yeah. something that you uh, listen to when you listen to the album or is this something you skip over and think is a cool idea? Yeah. I mean, I just, it's, it's the type of thing that like I would hear, you know, um, once or twice when I'm checking out a record, but then in the end I would, and, and it adds to the kind of the ingredients of the flavor of the record, but like, it's not something that I go back to obviously, you know, it's just a cool idea to really like commit to the theme of it. Like, Hey, this album's going to be called roots. We're going to talk about Brazilian culture and we're going to, because I think that this was foreign even to them at the time, they weren't that in touch with, you know, the, yeah. the natives of, of, uh, of Brazil, just like, you know, we might not be super well-versed in the culture of like, you know, a Cherokee Indian or something like that. I, you know, I know that they exist. I have a vague understanding of their culture, but I certainly wouldn't, know their customs and things like that so i think that that's a really interesting idea to to really bring it full circle and show the again the authenticity of the project that they're not just kind of milking the the image of it they're like no we want to you know help you we want to bring um awareness to your plight you think max just went out there and just rubbed his like dreads in the dirt and like got all that shit in there and it added to the to the production well, famously, they took the master tapes of this album and buried it underground for 24 hours. And that when Andy Wallace 
received it, it was like there was like dirt and shit all over it. And he was like, "What did you guys do to these tapes? I'm really? To mix this? Yeah. Like he just in the shell, he they buried it. Yeah, for a full day <laughs> in, in underground. They literally they wanted the literal dirt to be involved in it. So that is next level, gritty and grimy, for real. But the dreadlocks, did you see recently? Max cut off his dreadlocks. I did see that. That was crazy. I think I sent that to like five friends. Like, it's just like a big day. <laughs> it's almost the second most legendary dreadlock removal. Sonny from POD, when he cut all his hair off, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I can barely remember that. But yeah, yeah. So we talked about ambush. You know, it's got the 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 motherfucker ad libs, which are sick as hell. It also kind of has the more like radio rock riffing to me, too, like almost like grunge influenced um not that it sounds like a radio structured song because it actually has a 90 second jam in the middle of the, the rest of the song but uh it definitely has i don't know more i get a, some like allison chainsy vibes on it more than anything else on here we're at the end of the record now and i <laughs> i don't recall when i when i listen to, to to sepultura now um you know i go back to like my favorite songs which would just be like the first chunk of songs on on roots and of course i've listened to the whole thing many times but it's been a long time since i've done that that's what i was saying about like the the instrumental jams on here even though they're not the end of the album like maybe they should be you know like it's yeah it yeah. kind of has uh ambush which almost feels like a song that they're done with because like i say it stops it doesn't even like go into a jam it like stops and then it picks up and there's like a 90 second jam and then they kind of finish the song with the chorus the last song before the bonus track is dictator shit which is barely a minute long so like you know they definitely don't care about that at all although i can see that as maybe an outro after the the tribal thing yeah and in the middle of that is endangered species which is uh somewhat of a cool track and has a a refrain of the rise that he reuses later on primitive for the song terrorist with tom mariah um he he reuses you know kind of lyric ideas a lot which is fine yeah but uh but no, I don't disagree that after really, I mean, after Born Stubborn and then you go into the instrumental jam, it's only a couple songs, but there are a couple songs that I'm not super connected with. If I went and saw Soulfly or Sepultura play and they didn't play, you know, Endangered Species, I wouldn't go home yeah. upset. Do you think that Roots is a new metal album? No, no, not at all. So, so the, the way I look at new metal, like the term new metal, for some reason, I kind of associate it more with like the the hip hop kind of influences that came in. So like like when there was DJs and um, that kind of stuff. And I've never really tried to articulate it. You know, I don't think of the Deftones as a new metal band, but they have some of those things. Obviously, a DJ. Those, those, those elements. Yeah, I think there's something about the new metal that has like. Maybe it's the top, the pop influence or the, or like the kind of like some of the goofiness that comes in the less serious vibe. I kind of push that into like what's new metal. I think the other stuff, I don't know. I just think of it as a great band. I don't know. I, Cause when I, when I listen to bands that, that do like lots of single string stuff now, I don't think they're new metal. I just, do you think that there are throwdown or 18 vision songs that you've written that are new metal? we those types of influence would just i would yeah i would call them like so yeah you know roots is a huge influence on on both bands um especially throwdown and i would just say that's taking from that kind of like yeah like you were saying groove metal like um that more kind of i don't think of it as new metal because when i think of new metal i think of more like the the goofier stuff so i just 
I kind of separate it there. When I think of new metal, I guess I don't think of specifically the goofiness. I think of it as a sound. Now that being said, I often do describe it as pop music with guitars because you know the more popular and successful bands with it were essentially like that. Your Limp Bizkit, um, even you know the bigger hits by a band like Machine Head, like a From the Stay or something like that. But at the same time, I kind of think of that single note riff as like the new metal riff. So like when we're thinking of the song Roots, Bloody Roots, when we're thinking of the end of You Broke Like Glass or even Tower of Snakes, the you know, to me, that's new metal. But I don't mean that in a critical way. I mean, it actually yeah, yeah. complimentary. I'm like, oh, this thing sounds like the things that I love because yeah. it has that that new metal aesthetic to it. But I can see where you might be thinking when you think new metal, like the fashion of it, you know, like the the corniness of it that kind of came along with the oversaturation of just like anything else. You know, we think of like metalcore. I know where you did a lot of metalcore stuff, even 18 Visions could be considered metalcore. And then it became this, you know, embarrassing thing that got oversaturated. So I can see why that might be kind of a, a term that you more associate with more, what you said earlier, more serious, that was a, there was a few other things that like really connected to me with Sepultura and Around Roots, which was, you know, it was, it was very like in at the time to get like a wah pedal and do like the high kind of chords and do the wah, like, like the really, no and the, the noise chords, which metalcore and hardcore kind of took from some of that genre and incorporated like, you know, disembodied, you know, very much did that. Now, every metal like hardcore band does that um but yeah at that time that was another thing that like kind of like made a connection for me that and like yeah the kind of like wah pedal kind of thing that was like something that uh, i know we started to um to mess around with in, in throwdown and i said when i think of sepultura i just think they're 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 a metal, they were a metal band Thanks to Heavy K, Keith Barney, for being somebody that influenced me a lot growing up, talking about music that influenced him. You can check out the new 18 Visions album Inferno and go to 18vmerch.com for other sick stuff. We'll continue the Ryan Rainbow Fantasy Camp with the producer of Roots and every other album I had a Blue Grape t-shirt of when I was a stinker, Ross Robinson. And is it a coincidence that Ryan Rainbow Roadrunner Records and Ross Robinson all have the same initials? You be the judge. You you have such a storied career with Roadrunner between being signed to them back in the 80s and then you did so many records with them. So Tons, tons and tons of history with those guys. But what's interesting to me is, you know, I feel like Roots is the first album that you produced that comes out on Roadrunner and the project immediately before that is the funk junkies yeah yeah yeah. so tell me about how you were a part of that funk junkies was uh okay so in between first and second corn record these two manager dudes came to the rehearsal place to try to get the band to pick them out and they uh they were like kind of dorky and they're bobbing to it like oh yeah this is great and you know they nobody knew what what corn was at the time you know like understood it in the industry yet 
And um, these guys showed all this enthusiasm and every management company just were asleep. And so corn uh, went with these guys just because of their enthusiasm. And um, they had funk junkies. That was all they had. And that's what turned into um, the big management company, the firm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Funk Junkies was the beginning of the firm before they called themselves the firm. It was, uh, and so those guys, they asked me if I would record it. And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they were really fun. They, they would sell out giant shows in Phoenix and that's kind of it. Well, yeah, no, I was obsessed with the Funk Junkies. In fact, this CD I bought as like a 10-year-old. It is, it is autographed to me. I was real into this band. No way. So it's very funny to me that you were a part of it because of how it doesn't quite fit. You know, like you said, it's between <laughs> you doing Corn, and then I think you did, what, the cellophane demo, and you did some adrenaline yeah. tracks, and then randomly, the you know, one of, one of these does not fit <laughs> with the other. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember those guys were just super funny and um, and they were good. You know, because you're known for, of course, like the vocals on your albums and provoking this emotion from these vocalists. Yeah, so yeah. like, what could you have possibly done with the Soul Man and K-Tel Disco? <laughs> to, like, make them... <laughs> you know, it was all about fun with those guys. It wasn't about deep seated emotions. You know, it's, it was it was all about fun. Yeah, it it was cool. Yeah, I I was really grateful to do it, and you know, at the time I not ever made any, you know, got ahead at all making money with, you know, producing and stuff. So anything was like, oh my god, I can do this. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, and they're like a good band, so it's not like you know you were slumming it or anything like that it just is so weird in the canon of your your production to no that's that what i meant like yeah. i get to do this okay it was like wow at the time it wasn't you know something that i felt maybe i shouldn't do this you know i was just like wow they have big shows you know and this whole style you know was kind of you know it was floating you know not really solid yet you know so it was something kind of new and I feel like it wouldn't have been far off from a kind of band that Corn would have toured with back then either when they did like the Orange Not at all, yeah. tours and stuff like that. For sure. Yeah. So how did you get brought into the the Roots album process? Because they had worked with Andy Wallace for Chaos AD, who I know mixes Roots. So why were you the one that they went with instead of going with him? I went to their uh, to Phoenix to meet them. And at their rehearsal, I, you know, I, I've kind of always kept this really like open about my internal stuff, my expression and my connection to, you know, what, you know, I feel like music is God, you know, and, 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 you know, and I told them like they played, I think territory in the rehearsal just to warm up and, and, um, and I think I told them I want, this record to be like a I want it to be a fucking pyramid I want it to be something that lasts forever and ever and will never go away because you build it for something higher and greater than yourself you know and um I think uh Max and I 
besides the fact that his his uh yeah it was zion he um had the album playing in every room of the house the corn the first corn record so if you leave one living room and you go into the kitchen it's at, at a different point of a different song <laughs> you know <laughs> that little kid was obsessed with that record and um you know it was super cool you know to have their kids be responsible for me getting to do that record you know on top of how you know they, they're serious very serious about their music those guys and they were already like 10-year veterans at such a young age and so you know I was fresh and wide-eyed and ready to ready to drink blood you know <laughs> in the name of god <laughs> you know not not a religious but you know a deep spiritual thing and yeah it matched exactly what we did we were on point with each other very very in tune with where each other was you know on a musical and internal level i think it was a perfect match well, what's interesting about that record, too, besides everything, <laughs> is that, you know, uh, Max, of course, goes on to do the first Soulfly album with you. But the direction of the remaining members of Sepultura is nothing like Roots, whereas the first Soulfly record is kind of a spiritual successor to Roots. So were the other members of the band as psyched about the sound and direction of that album? Or was it kind of like Max spearheading it? They were very psyched. They loved it. And... Um, you know, at, at first it was tough because it was so raw and so on the fly. I have this method that kind of scares musicians in that, you know, I do what's in front of me and I don't plan for the future. So the, so the impossible stuff happens, you know, if you plan and know what it's going to sound like, then it's kind of a a watered down version of, of what it could be. So I, I deeply trust in everything's going to be okay. And so that, that was a little freaky, you know, for them, I think in that prior uh, records were very planned and pro and meticulous. And, you know, <laughs> it was like everything started out from nothing and became something on the spot you know which you feel in the record it's it's magical you know yeah i know that on a lot of the like soulfly songs and the following album it's like you were just you happened to be recording when they were kind of just messing around and yeah a lot yeah did that happen on the roots album as well kind of just like capturing things randomly that were going on around you well soulfly was kind of thrown together and not uh they weren't a real band yet you know it they didn't have time to marinate and i i don't think they toured sure they didn't it was just kind of max wrote some songs and the rest was like let's see what happens which is to me really cool but the i i think the validity of a real band and real anticipation of 
of of a a six sense sort of communication you can't beat it there's just no way you, you throw like the first is the first song eye for an eye on soulfly yeah so you put dino Cazares from fear factory who's super control you know with his right hand that's not andreas you know it's it's a guy that's really perfect in his playing and he comes in and it's like you know it's got to sound right and perfect and you know it naturally comes out of him you know controlled like that and to me you know like it loses uh something when you're expecting to hear an andreas on that side <laughs> you know and that's just one little thing um i think lucio was really amazing but he wasn't metal well with the first soulfly album too being so like collaborative like you said kind of thrown together it's got dino it's got uh lethal and fred durst it has all these collaborations that kind of starts with roots as well so was that i know you're saying that max and his family were fans of corn so i know you got david and jonathan davis on there mike Patton. are these ideas that the band is coming to you like oh we should get these people or are you suggesting these collaborations to happen because you want to make this new kind of sound for them it no no it was just kind of happened because people said yes if an <laughs> idea came up you know if they were available you know it it was there was no plan Jonathan Davis recently, I want to say recently, I mean, within the last couple of years, has kind of almost like accused you of giving Sepultura the corn sound for Roots. And you're telling me that they are listening to that album at the time, but I don't really think they sound identical. I mean, maybe it sounds more like corn than Arise does or something like that. But do you feel like it was a deliberate intention to kind of have that, that more downtuned even the deaf tones started tuning down. <laughs> right. So, and, and corn wasn't the originator of tuning down as well. You know, it was more like carcass and, you know, those grindcore bands and, you know, it's when, when you go to Indigo Ranch, you are like, it, it's so not compressed and clear and, you know, it, it's going to expose whether you're really good or whether you're not. And the really good bands shined like Slipknot, you know, the really good bands, you could see how great they were, you know, and there was no like studio trickery that would uh, hide how great the band was. And I think because, um, I I I was connected to Corn, you know, through the whole existence of Corn up until that until they got the life record. Ball leader. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my brain, man. I, you know, it's funny. I don't remember names of songs after I've worked on an album for like thirty days, forty days. It's like you know the song that goes like you know, and and people always have to help me. But anyway, I think that. It was such a powerful fucking album. And our my relationship with Corn was so intimate and real and beautiful that it just strikes a nerve, you know, for the for John, I think. You know, I wish I wish everybody can just 
feel okay, but they're not <laughs> going to, you know, it wasn't an intentional thing to try to uh, make a record that people related to corn. Um, they came at me with downtuned guitars um, and they came at me with two furiously amazing, great guitar players. You know, there's no slapping on Sepultura. <laughs> um, the kick drums, the drums sound totally different. The playing is totally different on the rhythm section uh, and guitar. I don't know. It's just a, it's a thing. I think it's probably maybe more the tempo, you know, and the tuning, you know. <laughs> I do think that it's interesting about like you mentioned, because the the bass, I feel like, is such a big part of the corn sound. And it's not like Paolo is playing anything that sounds like a fieldy bass line. Never. Yeah. Never. He's straight metal. Right. Yeah. Straight metal. <laughs> Did you go to Brazil with them to record with yeah. that tribe? Okay. When you went to Brazil <laughs> and you're meeting with this tribe and everything, are you, I know you're saying that you're kind of like an in-the-moment guy, right? So do you know, like, oh, I'm going to go and record these you know, chants and drums, or are you just going there for like the cultural experience? I mean, what's the plan when you guys head over there? Um, the plan was to get it recorded and have the band do a song with them. We've got recordings of just the tribe, and then we have recordings of them with the tribe. I think them with the tribe is what came on the record, but it was more of a, again, an idea. And luckily, the industry was doing so well that they were, you know, you know, supported and following their dreams. And, and I, I just asked the band, I go, can I go? And they're like, fuck yeah. I'm like, yes. And, um, I mean, I, I just went around like, you know, listening on, you know, I'd listened to headphones and, you know, experienced the, the feeling tone of everything. And, you know, when there was a little bit of a, <clears throat> I feel a little bit of a, a lull or something and in the energy, I'd try to kind of cruise around, walk around be in between the, the band was in the middle and the Indians were surrounding us and um, we had different mics set around and it was off of a car battery and, and tape machine and, and uh, I, I would just jump around like I think I, I I like swiped a tree to you know in a section and I, I accidentally hit a mango that was on the tree and it went flying at one of the Indians and hit them I was like oh god <laughs> and they loved it I mean the the Indians loved it um I think they said they nicknamed me the frog or something like that i don't know i was about to say i think you you are the chief if you hit the other indian with a mango i think that makes you their their ruler <laughs> no they're they were really really cool man it was an experience i'll never forget there's so many of those kind of like tribal jams on that album were any of those recorded at indigo ranch once you guys got back to kind of everything out? else is at indigo yeah just the the it's it's sorry yeah it's it, that's the the it's sorry is the indian the other one is the indigo okay i got gotcha. you yeah 
And then there's kind of like that jam at the end, like the kind of like hidden track kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. With DJ Lethal being on the album, had you already started work on the Limp Bizkit record? Did you know him from before? I knew him from before. Uh, House of Pain uh, took Corn on tour, the first tour. Fred um, became friends with him when House of Pain was going through Jacksonville. And, and then, uh, yeah, it's just kind of like one of those really cool things. I remember uh, Lior asked me, like wanted to make up some like beats, you know? And uh, before, I think before I did the corn record, we went up to Indigo Ranch and made a bunch of cool beats, you know, like for his tracks and stuff. And that was really fun. Yeah. He's a cool dude. Yeah. Such a storied career too. I mean, he did that Sugar Ray record right before the Limp Bizkit one that I was really into. And then of course he did House of Pain before that. And then Limp Bizkit yeah. is the biggest thing in the world for a while. Yeah. His dad um, used to go record up there at the studio um, when he was a little kid. And uh, he was in one of the San Francisco Summer of Love bands. And, um, and uh, he was this amazing guitar player. So he, grew up going to that studio that we did the all those records at it's a trip oh that's cool and then full circle he's coming back and doing stuff on them too yeah making some platinum shit <laughs> <laughs> well with limp biscuit corn later on slipknot and i think this record roots is easy to put into that you're often referred to as the godfather of new metal but i almost mm. feel like that's like unfair not only because i think i'm the godfather of new metal but because uh <laughs> You've done so many other records that that aren't really in that category, but I know those are big landmarks. So I don't. It's not that I misunderstand it or anything like that, but I know that new metal is often kind of looked down upon or or not given a lot of respect. Which is recently, I was going to say it's kind of yeah. come back all all the way around. And even you with that Ghost Main record, super yeah. sounding. So up until then, though, was there a period of time where that kind of like was annoying for you, or did you always take that as a point of pride? Um. I think I read some shit talking in a magazine. I got my feelings hurt. And so like it kind of pushed me into Slipknot and, you know, at the drive-in and Glassjaw and like Blood Brothers and all those bands, you know, I was just like, oh yeah, well, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> kind of dumb, young, stupid stuff when everything is just, supposed to be I, I don't know it 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 was like it was tough not working on the Limp Biscuit and Corn Records when they were the biggest bands in the entire planet you know and I was really there in the very beginning before the beginning and it really like it bothered me a lot <clears throat> and um at the time I I understand it now. And uh, I think, I think it was better for the world of music, you know, um, for me, I was able to really uh, expose and help things that wouldn't be known today. With the collaborations on Roots and the 
the tribal drums and everything like that. I know that on Chaos AD, uh, Paolo also did a lot of the percussions. I think he like taught himself how to do percussion for that album. Was it a full band effort on a lot of those weird percussive parts of it? Or was it just, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like they're a band. <laughs> it's a real band. And they actually pulse off each other for better or worse, which makes it amazing. And this album also is credited as co-produced by Sepultura. So is that any different from when you produce a band and it doesn't have that on the... When I'm on a record, it just means I'm another band member. You know, if they want to be co-producer on there, it's like, yeah, cool. I'm just a band member without holding an instrument. So I have an objective opinion and view of it without playing something or holding an instrument. There's something something else happens if I hold an instrument, I, I lose it. I can't get an objective view. So that's just a band member to me. Yeah. Working with Roadrunner, this is the first release that you do on Roadrunner Roots. And then you kind of have quite the tear between like 98 and 02 of all these albums. You do Soulfly, you do The Burning Red, you do a couple Amen albums, Slipknot. And then it kind of just like stops until that third or not third corn record, but the corn three, like a decade later. But you also had the I am imprint through them, right? Or was it just it was it not exclusively with Roadrunner? You could shop those to other labels. Uh, well, I did the cure with I am and um, the Blood Brothers, uh, Glassjaw on Warner Brothers, and um, I just did different, you know, sort of you know, distribution label deals with different labels. Yeah. But did you have any like set deal with Roadrunner or just coincidentally you did all those albums kind of in a row with them? Um, I did the deal and the first signing was Amen and then we did Slipknot. Oh, okay. And then I think Glassjaw. Yeah, it's interesting as far as like labels are concerned now, how much they, I, I know that they still play a role and can benefit an artist, but you know, there's just not the same necessity as it would have been a long time ago. Depending on who you are, um, if you're if you're ghost domain, then yeah, you know for sure. Um, if you're uh, like a DJ artist, for sure. But I think that if you're a band and you need the power of the machine, the big push, it's like. You can't, you can't beat it. It's so good. Like when the records that, that I did, the bands that started with nothing and became something through the majors, it was, it, and in Roadrunner, you know, with Slipknot, it was fucking incredible. The amount of love and hard work that just goes unsung with every every department is just unbelievable. And I think that, um, you know, it's, it's such a hard business because only a few things work, you know, up against thousands of signings. And when something people really, really get behind and believe in and, and genuinely love, and it's something new and unique and, and not normal, it, it, the, the life force is, beyond you can't do that on your own you can't even come close 
people are people, man. When they, when they feel passion and appreciated and they're super talented and they have a department to do that one thing, it's razor sharp. It's like a freaking military. It's gnarly. Famously are someone that kind of makes like grown men cry for these vocal performances. Did you have things like that with Max for Roots? It seems like it's a more angry record. <sighs> I mean, I would <laughs> because it's, I get overwhelmed like with the power of it. Like, <gasps> like my body can't handle it. It's so fucking massive. You know, these, these pulses between these beautiful dudes, it was just, it was just so insane you can't deny it like those moments just like <gasps> or comping a song comping a vocal on a song it's just like <sighs> tears flying down my face you know by myself at a console like <laughs> you know on slipknot records you know same thing just like just there'll be times where i just break out it's so powerful. I, I'm God, dude. I can't believe I get to do this. It just freaks me out. I don't. I don't get it. How you know how lucky you know to have been able to just be blasted by so much awesomeness. You know, it's crazy. You know, and also too when when you work so close with people and secrets are you know in, in, internal like you know subliminal thoughts that you know you trust with another person or shared like constantly throughout the whole process and your heart's so wide open um doesn't matter how long apart you are with the other person when you see that person again it's as if you never ever were apart you know and i truly believe that i have that relationship with everybody you know that i worked with roots 25 years later and it's still as important as it was then maybe more important and 25 years later sepultura soulfly and ross robinson are all significantly contributing to the world of music and if you want to make a significant contribution to the world of meep meep go to apple podcasts and leave me a five-star rating and follow me on instagram at meep meep pod Next week, we continue the celebrations with exhorter vocalist Kyle Thomas and his band Floodgate with their 1996 album, Penalty. So I'll talk to you then. My name is Ryan Rainbow. This is Meet Meep. And yes, that's the best I could come up with. Bye! <laughs>